And I double underscore exciting. And it's just a lot of stuff going to be happening, and you're going to be part of it, and you're going to be thrilled to pieces. So are you glad you're here? Yes. Well, sure. So today's wonderful and powerful scripture, and we're going to be reading it in just a few moments, is found in Psalm 142. So if you have your Bible or your app or whatever you're using this morning, uh, dial in to Psalm 142. We'll be there shortly. Right now we're in a series which I've titled, simply titled it, Caring. The first part of this series was entitled, Who Really Cares? And to follow that theme, today, part two of the series, we ask the age-old question, does no one care? Before I move on in the message this morning, I want to say, and I'm sure pretty well everybody would be aware of this, but yesterday in the U.S., and in many allied countries, it was Veterans Day. I hope you spent a little bit of time remembering that and commemorating that. And we're going to take just a moment this morning to say thank you to those veterans we have in our midst. So if you are a veteran of the armed forces, any branch, wartime or peacetime, and you're here, we'd like you, if you can, we'd like you to stand and be recognized. Just stand right where you are. And just stay standing if you would do that. And people can look around and see how many veterans are here. And to the veterans, let me say, we owe you a debt of gratitude that we cannot properly repay, but we'll try hard, and we thank you for protecting our liberty and fighting for our freedom and wherever you were, whatever you encountered, we want to say thank you from all of us. I had this question come across my mind not too long ago, and I thought I'd just share it with you. What should we do when we have a complaint in life? Where, where do we turn? How do we process that? Or maybe you're here today and say, well, I'm sure glad to hear this introduction because I'm out on this one. I don't ever complain about anything. So I'll just listen and try to pick up some tips for all these other poor saps that are here. Where do we turn? Well, the psalmist tells us, boy, you know, if you have a question, go to the psalmist. And if you haven't found it yet, keep searching because you will. Find it. He says three things real quickly. I'm not going to put them in your outline, but if you can pick up on them, you can, you can certainly write them down. He says, when you have a complaint, pour out your complaint to the Lord first. Secondly, confess the Lord as your refuge. And thirdly, ask for the Lord's help in time of need. When I thought of that, and I thought of the story of the monk who joined a monastery, and he took a vow of total silence. No talking, no, no, nothing verbal at all, ever. So he'd been there ten years, and his superior called him in and says, Do you have anything to say now after ten years of total silence? And the monk replied, Food bad. 
Another 10 years. Somebody's laughing already. Another 10 years went by. No, no talking. Total silence. The monk again had an opportunity to voice his thoughts. Came before the superior. Was asked the same question. This time he said, Bed hard. Another ten years went by. And he was called in again before a superior. And when he was asked if he had anything to say now after three decades, here's what he said. I quit. <laughs> and a superior said, it doesn't surprise me a bit. You've done nothing but complain since you got here. Now, I got thinking about that story. That's an old story. But I got thinking about if that was all the complaining that any of us ever did, we'd be in good shape. And so would the world around us. Hello? Yeah. That means are you still there? Or if we never complained, but just maybe once every ten years, I think we would certainly be considered saints by most people. However, that's not the norm, is it, for most of us? I don't think it's a norm for any of us. It seems like we all tend to be more negative than positive about life, and we see the bad stuff instead of looking at the things of, the, of our lives from a positive viewpoint. A survey a while back asked moms, young mothers, to keep track of how many times they made negative compared with positive comments to their children. And I don't know why they picked on mothers, because it could just as easily be fathers, and the numbers would probably even be higher. But at any rate, in the survey, and after reading all the results, they admitted that they had criticized ten times for every time they said something favorable. A three-year survey, a survey in one of the one city's schools found out that the teachers were also 75% negative. In other words, 75% of the time, they were saying negative things to their students instead of positive things. And before you or I do any kind of criticism or judgment of that, let's think about this. How quickly we might be with our own children, with our grandchildren, with kids in general, anybody that might be under our tutelage, whatever. It may not be 10 to 1, But if it's anywhere between 0 and 10, it still outweighs the positive. And when I read those results of those surveys, it made me stop. Because once in a while, you don't have explanation for things, so you just decide, oh, I'll think about this. I'm going to process this. I'm not going to respond to it yet because, quite honestly, I don't know how. The first thing that I thought, I'm putting myself all in with everybody else, I said, wow, are we humans really that bad in our behavior? Are we that negative? Do we complain more than we commend? Think about this. And are we more negative than positive? Are we more negative than positive? Now, I will tell you this. It's really, really easy to be negative. And I don't know why, but sometimes it just seems difficult to be positive. Maybe it's because a lot of stuff around us is negative or it uh, tends to lead us in a negative direction. Don't know why. 
Sort of like that old story of the guy who took his whole family to church and they're driving home after church and this guy is driving along and he's complaining about everything. The music was too loud. We never hear that here. I know you'll laugh at this too. We might as well. But I know people that won't come to this church because the music is too loud for them. Or the sermon, it's too long. Definitely never be a problem here. Or they announce, well, who's to decide whether it's too long or too short? I don't think anybody out there has the right to decide that. You're not getting the message from God. Step on a toe or two and it gets quiet. Oh, and I didn't like the announcements. They were unclear. I wasn't sure what the guy was talking about. Oh, by the way, the building was hot. Whew! And I found those people unfriendly. He went on and on and on and on, complaining about virtually everything. And finally, his young son said, Dad, yeah, but you got to admit, though, it wasn't a bad show for just a dollar. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty easy to complain, isn't it? So stop for a moment. Just stop what you're thinking. Stop what you're doing right now. Stop wherever you are if you're not in this room. You may be sitting here, but you may not be in this room. Very possible. A lot of times you come and you sit down, but you're not here. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Stop. Just stop. Wherever you are. Take a look. Put the mirror up and take a look. And on purpose for the next few minutes, let's think together. Think of this. If God were as negative as we are, where do you think we'd be? See, you really do have to arrest yourself and really think about things like that. So now, here's the good news. We're going to Psalm 142. We're going to read it together. <clears throat> this is the song, a masculine, which was a musical offering of, the, of David. <clears throat> David was in a cave when he experienced these thoughts, and I will explain that in a moment. So it rises to God as a musical prayer, so to speak. This was initiated about 3,000 years ago, before most of us were born. A little quicker on the uptake there. And here's what David said. And if you'd like, we're going to put, uh, we're going to put the words up and you can follow along. So David starts out saying, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord. Yeah, I thought we were reading together. I'm sorry. I guess I didn't get the uh, memo. I pour out... Before him, stop. Hmm. I guess there's the answer to what we do with our complaints. Hmm. Before him, let's say it again. Before him, Wow. 
Have you ever noticed something? That we tell 101 people every time there's a problem, large or small, before we ever think of going this route. You with me? Matter of fact, many times, that route is the last resort. What else does David say? When my spirit grows faint within me, it is who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. And it's not always people, but people being used by the devil to trip us up. Look and see. There's no one at my right hand, and no one is... Okay, we'll stop there. So when you think that nobody cares, uh, that's not an original thought. David was going through this searching of the soul 3,000 years before you and I were around. Look and see, there's no one at my right hand. No one's concerned for me. Here's what he says. I have no refuge, and no one cares for my life. I'm going to sit on the curb. I'm going to eat worms and die. Why? Because nobody cares. Poor boo-hoo, poor me. Poor me. And then in verse 5 he says, Again, I cry to you, Lord. I say, this is personal now, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in. You ever been desperate? You ever been desperate? I am in what? Not just need, desperate need. Woo, and I'll tell you why in just a moment, and it'll enlighten these things that you're reading. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are... And here's the thing that we never seem to learn, is that when we take it on ourselves, we do not in ourselves have the resources, the strength, or any of the equipment to battle these snares and these trip-ups and these pitfalls that Satan puts before us. We think we can do it. We think we're stronger than we were last time. We think we're smarter than the average bear. But you know what? We can't do it on our own. I am in desperately uh, in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me because they're too strong for me. David here is he is relating to God that he realizes how weak he really is. And then he says, "Set me free from my prison." Why? Wow. Well, I want you to see the ultimate purpose here and the purpose I think David had written, had read the Purpose Driven Life, don't you? Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Wow. It was cold. It was damp. It was unforgiving in that cave. Moisture was collecting on the roof, picture it. Dropping to the hard, cold floor below with a splat. I can see David pulling his cloak tightly around his shoulders and shivering. He hadn't come prepared for the dampness and the cold. 
I could stand the dampness, he probably thought, if I just had some food. Hunger pangs were gnawing at his stomach. David was on the run. David was hiding. His best friend Jonathan had sent him a signal with arrows that told him what he had feared, that King Saul was after him and intent on killing him. Then he followed his mad dash to find a place of safety. And now David is hiding in a cave. Splat, 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 splat. I can almost hear the drops. There was no way to start a fire. He had no food. He was cold. He was wet. He was hungry. He was desperate. You know, the greatest cold that he had was not in his body. It was in his soul. And the greatest hunger that was gnawing at him was not hunger for food. It was hunger for understanding and for companionship and for love and for protection. I think David, he's a strong guy. We know his story up to this point. He could stand the dampness. He could stand the cold. He could stand some discomfort. Others had done it. He could do it. He'd been very uncomfortable and often in danger while he was on the field of battle. But then he had been surrounded by others who were fighting for the same cause. And it makes a big difference. Now, he was alone. I'm not even going to ask if you've ever felt that way. Because I already know the answer. Now, he was alone. <clears throat> Something about that word. He just, he could stand the discomfort, but he could not stand the loneliness. Now, those of us, and that's most of us, I would guess, who've never had to flee for our lives, we wouldn't really understand how David felt in that moment. He had nothing to King Saul, nothing. And he was true to the crown, and he was faithful to the, to the cause of the king, and his only crime was doing his best and always trusting in God, man after God's own heart. And the people had shouted this, and you can read it in 1 Samuel 18, 7. The people knew of the rising power and strength and courage and bravado of David, and the people would sing this little chorus, and, and, and they would say, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And Saul the king was consumed with jealousy and went into a murderous fit of rage. David, what is he now? He's a hunted animal. That's what David was. Not even his very best and maybe only real close friend on earth, Jonathan, could come to him for that would have betrayed his hiding place. He was alone, without family, without friends, all alone. And he writes, no one seemed 
to care but God. Don't you love the but gods in Scripture? Then in that cold, dark, damp cave, David began his masculine, his song of praise. He didn't have his harp with him. <laughs> he didn't have the instrument. He didn't have the band backing him up. But his voice, soft as the wind and charged with emotion, started to fill that cave. He'd often sung out on the hillside to his sheep. And David began to sing. He'd even sung before the king and pleased the king in his court by singing and lifting his voice. Now he sang of his loneliness. He sang of his faith. He sang of his feelings of being forsaken and how only God was with him now. Now the song that David did sing was in the cave of Adullam, And if you want to cross-reference, I don't know if it's on the screen or not, but it's 1 Samuel 22.1. You have to turn to it now. You can if you'd like. But this is where he retreated to, the cave of Adullam, And there's a real story behind that, which we don't have time to uh, delve into, but read it. And I think you'll get the gist of it in 1 Samuel 22. This has been reserved for us today, this psalm. No doubt his feelings, his emotion, his emotions, his loneliness were so strong that David never forgot the feeling. And later, when he wrote it down, he captured it for all of us. Now, 3,000 years later. In our English Bible, it is what we call the 142nd Psalm. And we just read it a few moments ago. The emptiness of that cave. The yearning of David's heart have echoed down through the years in the words of verse 4. Thank you for reading them with me. Look to my right, look and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge. I look at this story, and I, I come to this conclusion. I hope you're with me. In all that we've said thus far, we also can say David was very fortunate and that he had a very strong and a very well-grounded faith in God. I'm telling you, I've seen people go through some horrendous things in life. I've seen some people make decisions that I would have jumped off a bridge to save them if I could have, but then you're picking up the pieces and then you're trying to put it back together and it's got Humpty Dumpty's got nothing on that. And I've seen people go through that with faith in God and come out on the other side triumphant and with words of praise and a heart full of gratitude. And I've seen others just get mad at God and walk away from God and not realize God's in it all. The one thing David had going for him is really the only thing he needed. And it's the only thing you and I need. Yes, he was forsaken. And yes, he was uh, unfortunate in many ways. But he was also fortunate in that he had his faith in Almighty God. 
He was able to believe that even when men had forsaken him, that's what he said. There are so many people who are tripping me up. He knew that God was still near. But I'm afraid, here's my fear, that many people today, yea, even some Christians, don't have that kind of faith. And the cry of their hearts may often be, no one cares for my soul. Is it possible? Is it possible that our lives have become so self-centered, so complicated, and so full of things that we no longer care? What about that little lady? A little lady well up in years, rose early, cooked her breakfast. But for some reason, she wasn't very hungry. She went outside, got her paper, brought it back in and glanced at the front page. Looked out the window and said, my, my but aren't people busy doing so many things? Huh? Yes. And they're passing you by, aren't they? Came that small voice that had started to haunt her that day. You see, your usefulness is over. And nobody cares about you anymore. Pushing these thoughts aside, she tidied up her little house but it took so little time. She was still alone. She put on her best everyday dress and she sat down and she waited and she waited and she waited and she waited, but nobody came. And she's still waiting And the message that rebounds off of her heart is, no one cares for my soul. Scenario number two, the boss had not slept too well last night. Thoughts like these had kept running through his mind. These were the thoughts and the questions he had. What am I doing? What is life about? Where am I going? He hadn't phrased his thoughts just like that, but that's what deep down inside he was feeling, that something was definitely missing in his life. He had no idea what it was, where it should be, how he should get it, or how long it would last. So what did he do? Like a lot of us, he just kept busy. He kept busy enough to squelch any twinge of conscience, but for some reason the emptiness of his life really got to him last night. And he thought about his mother, his godly mother. And he thought about her. Look, this was the first time in months, maybe even years. He thought about her Bible stories at bedtime. He thought about going to church with his mom. He thought about her singing hymns in that soft, sweet voice of hers as she went about doing her work in the home. Shh, 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 don't tell anybody. 
But as he thought those thoughts, a tear came to his eye. Can you imagine a tear in the boss's eye? He had awakened this morning with a strange new resolve. I'm going to do something about my life. He wasn't sure where to start, but there must be more to life than this. So now, fast forward, and he's at his desk. And for the longest time, he just sat there, almost motionless, thinking, thinking, thinking. Then he rang his buzzer, and he called Smith to come in. Smith, he said gruffly, because that's the only kind of way that he'd ever talked to anybody in the business world. Smith, I understand you go to church. Well, sometimes, said Smith, in a voice solo could hardly be heard. Hey, Smith, does, it, does that do you any good? Now, this uncomfortable line of conversation was making both these men feel very ill at ease, you can imagine. Oh, 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 I, oh, I really don't know, sir. Silence. Awkward. More silence. Now what do I say, thought the boss. The silence stretched on, and finally he muttered in defeat, Oh, oh, get on out of here. And Boy Smith beat a quick retreat. And the employees wondered why the boss seemed to holler even louder than usual all day long. No one cares for my soul. And now my third scenario. He'd been a big man on earth, sort of the big man on campus syndrome. But right now, he appeared rather small as he stood before the mighty throne of God and his record was being reviewed. Your mother and father were very poor, both of them. He nodded his head. You worked hard to get an education. I, I had to, to get ahead in life. You were successful in your job. Well, I like to think I was. I got a lot of promotions. And then the record began to touch on some things that were really really important, and he developed a little twitch <laughs> in his right eye. You had no interest in the things of God. Well, I, I didn't know much about him. Didn't you have a Bible in your home? Well, yes, but, 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 but didn't anyone ever mention to you about going to church with them, maybe? Well, 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 yes. He knew he was without excuse. He couldn't deny the justice of these questions, but it still tore at his soul. And now he's trembling all over. So he turned to face those that were still waiting. He said, you, you were my neighbor. Why didn't you tell me about God? Pointing his finger at another, he said, and you, we worked side by side. 
Did you know about this judgment day or this day of reckoning? Why didn't you tell me there was, there, there, there was no answer from those folks? One after another, heads dropped in shame as each one answered, and there was no answer. Finally, there came a word from that voice again, and he moved over to the left ever so slightly, but these words stayed behind to haunt those who were still waiting their turn. You never even mentioned him to me. It's time, Christian, to sit up and listen. You never even mentioned him to me. No one cares for my soul. Now, don't misunderstand me. These folks that I've mentioned all had a personal responsibility, and that's how they'll stand before God. The little lady, well up in years, she should have busied herself in helping others instead of just waiting on someone to always call upon her. The boss and the worker, they could have learned the will of God if they'd had a seeking heart. And they would humble themselves before God. And if they really had wanted to, you see, they had to care too. Does no one care? And the answer is, God cares. In 1 Peter 5, 7, we read these words. Cast all your anxiety or all your cares or all your trouble or all your problems or all your selfishness on him because he cares for you. I've preached on that text a number of times and every time I remind people God cares more about us and knows more about us than we ever know or care about ourselves. It's a matter of submission. It's a matter of resignation to the wisdom and the love, and the kindness, and the will of God. Not only does God the Father care, but Jesus the Son cares. And not only that, everyone in this room who names the name of Christ, we should care too. Because we're to walk in his steps. Remember that. Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter 2.21. He said, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. One day, a woman that we know quite well came to Jesus and she asked this pointed question, Lord, don't you care? (laughs) He said, Martha, Luke 10 is the chapter, Martha, 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 Martha. Of course Jesus cared. But I wonder how many times today That question is asked with great effect. Don't you care? I care. God says, do you? And then I have to ask myself, well, do I? And do you? And do we really care? A church family announcement was made in a church's morning service about a lady called Old Mrs. Carter. My apologies to any Mrs. Carters that are here this morning. She was confined to her home, and she would appreciate visitors. As the service continued and then wrapped up, Mrs. Carter was soon forgotten. 
was until after lunch when they were relaxing, the wife remembered the announcement about Mrs. Carter. And she said, isn't it too bad about old Mrs. Carter? She said as she laid down for a nap. Yes, it is, the husband replied as he turned on the TV to watch the game. Do we care? A moving van had been outside the house across the street all day long. And when George came in from work, he tossed his hat on the bed. He kissed his wife. He said, looks like we have some new neighbors. Looks that way, she said. That night at the supper table, the subject came up again. I suppose we ought to go over and show ourselves friendly, said the wife. Wouldn't hurt, wouldn't hurt. Should we invite them to church, she asked. The husband said, oh, they probably have their own church. Pass the potatoes. Do do we care? That new girl at school, she didn't quite fit in. She was a square peg in a round hole or a round peg in a square hole, but she just didn't seem to fit in that little school society. Her clothes weren't as good as some of the others. She even talked a little differently. She seemed to be standing around alone most of the time. Going home that night, two gals, Deborah and Yvonne, were discussing her and some other matters that came up that were of social importance. And she said, isn't it, one of them said, isn't it pretty pitiful? She, she's new, but isn't she pitiful? And the other one said, yes, I wish somebody would clue her in on her clothes. Hey, by the way, are you going to be in youth group this Sunday? Oh, sure, are you? Of course, but I sure get tired of our teacher talking about inviting others. I don't know anybody to invite. Do you know anybody to invite? No, I don't either. Do we care? Is it possible, I asked earlier, that our lives have become so self-centered, so complicated, and so full of things that we no longer care? Well, I'm telling you, I, for one, am convinced that we must start caring, not only for the sake of others, but the sake of our own souls as well. What does it mean to care anyway, Pastor Bob? what What does that mean? It means to care because someone needs the care. It means to see the potential in others. I meet people sometimes, and in about 10 minutes, I can tell you every flaw they have, every reason why they're not going anywhere in life, they won't move an inch ahead from where they are. If I could just take that energy, I know you never have this problem, but I'm just telling you in case it ever hits you, If I could just take that energy and redirect it and put it into the potential of that person or those persons, I have no idea what God could do, and nobody does, with those lives and with those people. What does caring mean? It it means to express our love in concrete ways, to speak words of encouragement and to follow it with acts of encouragement, to help lift burdens and to help lighten loads. Can I just say that even though you may be carrying a really heavy load in your life, 
probably not far from where you are right now, there's somebody else who's carrying a load that you wouldn't trade for. A couple of weeks ago when I opened this series, I had some fantastic conversations out at the door. And I had some people go away thinking, yeah, yep, this is a dark time for me. This is not good. This is... And they went away realizing they wouldn't trade places with a whole lot of people. Because when you think you don't have it so good... There's somebody near you that has it far worse. What does caring mean? Jesus said, care. Introduce them to me. And by the way, church, if we fail in this, if our mission here is not to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, then we fail to do the most important thing for those people in all of eternity. Jesus said this, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And here's the promise. And surely I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. That's what we call around here the Everyday Commission. Not a great theologian, but worth quoting once in a while. So I'm just going to throw this in. Mark Twain said, quote, don't complain and talk about all your problems. 80% of people don't care, and the other 20% will think you deserve them. (laughs) End of quote. Now, I analyzed that statement, and I thought, once again, not far from the truth there, but little biblical knowledge would have helped, but it may be that sometimes in life, Let's just be really cruelly honest here. Maybe in some times in life, we deserve the problems we get. You know, oftentimes, quote-unquote, we make our own bed, and then we have to lie in it, be it a good one or a bad one. While most people don't want to listen to our complaints, we know that there is one person who has a listening ear and a compassionate heart, And how thankful we should be for our gracious God. How thankful we should be. How thankful we should be. How thankful we should be. How full of praise we should be. How grateful we should be. How thankful, how thankful, how thankful we should be for our great and gracious God. On whom we can lay our complaints and bring all of our burdens no matter what they are. So let me ask, because the theme of our message this morning is, does no one care? Let me ask, do you care? Do you care enough to say a kind word? Kind word. Or are you so used to critical words that you're going to go have to go home and memorize some kind words and kind of practice? Don't just throw me under the bus here. If you have to do that, do it. How much do you care? Do you really care? Do you care enough to visit somebody who's alone? 
Do you care enough to invite someone to come with you to your church experience, whatever it is? Do you care enough to talk to them about Jesus? Do you care? Do we care? Does no one care? Ah, God cares. And He invites you to come to Him for salvation, for forgiveness, and for peace. Spread the word. Don't be shy. Don't be ashamed. Don't make excuses for your faith. Remember, it's not your faith. It's faith in Jesus, the Son of the living God, who gave us all that we might be set free. Does no one care? There was an old hymn years ago. Does anyone care? And the, the, the chorus said, Oh, yes, he cares. Oh, yes, he cares. His heart is filled with my grief. He cares. Let's care like he does. I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way to their places. I'm going to ask if we could stand. I want to pray with you this morning. Let's stand for prayer. Gracious and caring Father, thank you that you cared enough to repair the relationship that had been broken through sin and bring us back into your family and bring us back into the fold and bring us back into your graces all because of your kindness and your love, your mercy, your grace, your compassion. We thank you that you care. May we go from this place a caring people so that no one will have anything to do with us and then say, nobody cared. Nobody cared. No one cared. Yes, someone cares. May we be the feet and the hands and the voice of Jesus as we go about our lives. May we just put a blank expression over our own problems and needs and troubles and cares. And may we just take a look at what others might be dealing with and be willing to reach out in love and care. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and in his victory. Amen. Now, remain standing. We're going to worship and we need to worship, and we're going to continue to worship. Thank God we worship in the Word. Now we're going to worship in other ways that are going to thrill you and excite you. And we ought to come to Him today. You know why? Because everyone here who names the name of Christ is a son and a daughter. Let's sing.
before he spoke creation, the God of heaven knew our 